Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. I'm I'm going I'm going to open on Sunday with her referring to Sarah Grant's book. I have found it and uh, what it's meant to me. I've gone back and looked at it, some of it um, this week because I wanted to. I wanted us to begin Sunday with the line that you used last week and that you and I both have used a lot in love, and that is the line: "It is not the way because Jesus walked it." Jesus walked it because it is the way. Right. And uh, so I wanted to continue talking about the um, our being guided in creating these talks by using the Lord's Prayer. And the phrase that we would be up to is this week is the one that says, Hallowed be thy name. Mm-hmm. And uh, what in the world does it mean to hallow anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, in Harry Potter, there are the deathly hallows in the Lord's oh, I, Prayer. Yeah. Hallowed I didn't is, remember that. Yeah. What yeah. are the deathly hallows? The deathly hallows in um, Harry Potter are the wand, the invisibility cloak, in the time stone and if recovered um, each one has its own powers the wizard that has all three is deemed the most powerful however the trick is that one has to know how to use that power else they turn into Mm -hmm. Voldemort Um, Mm -hmm. so those are the hallows in Harry Potter but what does hallowed <laughs> mean to you? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about what it means to walk this path mm-hmm. between being infantilized or the in- infantile and the trivial. And um, it, to, to hallow means to, I think, recognize and participate in the mystery. Right. And the, so this is why I went back to to, to reread um, some in Sarah Grant, and um, when I'll tell the story Sunday. So when I first found out about this book from Christian Wyman, uh, I went on Amazon to buy a copy, and I think it was then somewhere around three hundred dollars to get a copy of the book. Yeah, and. Um, so I checked on Amazon this week and the hard, the hard back copy of, um, Sarah Grant's book is almost a thousand dollars. That's just nuts. Is there like one in existence or something like that? Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the, you can buy used paperback copies for under $50, of course. Okay. But then, uh, but then Christian Wyman just gave it to me for free in a PDF. It's, and and then you shared the wealth 
and forwarded it to I, me. I, and and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't know whether I'm going to get into legal trouble for this or not, but if anybody would like a copy of Sarah Grant's book, if they will email me, I will send it to them. Well, I think copyright law just says as long as you're not using it for personal gain to make money off of it. Okay. Um, I think. <laughs> no, let's check on that so that we don't both get dragged away to copyright jail. But I don't know how long it's been since you've read in it. About a year. But yeah. all right, uh, I want to I read you this couple of, I don't know, I have not taken the time to look this up. So maybe while we're talking, one of us could do it. All things hiddenly to each other linked are, so that thou canst not stir a stone without troubling a star. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that too. Um, that is, I think, an original poem by Frances Thompson. So she's quoting someone. I, think. I didn't make that in my notes. Yeah. But it's so, you know, this that speaks so much to that truth of interconnectedness, the butterfly effect in mm -hmm. physics, right? If a butterfly flaps mm -hmm. its wings in one place, it can have the ripple effect of a tsunami in another. Mm -hmm. And this is just the way of the universe, yeah. this interconnectedness. Um, it is, uh, you know, I, was, I said something about humans being in exile from that way, if you will. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to come home? What does it mean to sort of embody that interconnectedness. And I want to land somewhere between the ideal, um, or maybe I should say naive of like, if we just embody this, we can all get along. <laughs> and the yeah. realistic, you know, what is realistic? Um, because growth and change and evolution is real in the long span of time and in our own lifetime, and we will hurt people and we will be hurt. And we will sometimes feel disconnected. I suppose paradox invites us to, to know disconnection so that we may also recognize connection. And I think, you know, I also read some in, uh, more in John Tucker's book this morning. I'm going to persevere and finish reading. I'm on, I think, the last chapter, next to the last chapter, which is a long one mm -hmm. uh, about mercy. And 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 what John says in the book is that is that we we are inevitably and unavoidably connected to everything, everyone. That there's no way to make a move that does not have both positive and negative consequences in the world. Yeah, we just can't do it. So that I mean, I've certainly had that experience in my own life where going to uh, fulfill the urgent request to someone to render them aid mm -hmm. meant at the same time I was unable to respond to someone else's fairly equally urgent request to give them aid. So we sure. live in that complex web. But the, the, the thing that got me started about this week's desire to talk about walking the path is that one of the things that has happened in the history of all religions, but especially Christianity, is that 
we the, the life has been drained out of the religion by getting caught up in these squabbles about doctrine and and ritual yeah and, um that's what i want to try to avoid is, is that that on the one hand we we create a, a, a society of people who don't grow up yeah which Daramuda Muraku talks about in in his work yeah so we we um we infantilize mm-hmm. i mean I, I just think that the whole i mean the whole notion in the church that you and i both got exposed to growing up is this need to be born again that's right right <laughs> It seems like the church spends more time thinking about who doesn't get to be included than who does. Right. You know, it's just that's where it just is like, come on. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because when you first texted me the title for this week, I read it as <laughs> between the trivial and the infinite. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's a pretty big spance we're gonna cover. <laughs> on Sunday. But it, that's what I was sort of thinking along the lines. And then I reread the text and was like, oh, I, it's in, in the infantile. So I'd love to know how you're perceiving between the trivial and the infantile. You know, that, that seems like a much narrower margin <laughs> of, um, of discovery. Well, the the fundamentalism that I'm wanting to battle, fundamentalism is a reaction to ever widening horizons. Yeah. So uh, that's a more polite way of saying that fundamentalism is a reaction, is a fear reaction. It's completely fear. Yeah. But I want to try to find a gentler way to say it. Mm-hmm. Living in this huge space between the no longer and the not let, one of the comforting directions to go is that of, I need a father figure. I need Mm -hmm. somebody to tell me what to do. I need certitude. I need the illusion of security. That's infantile. That's an infantile response. And the other response is uh, to, say things oh it doesn't matter it's mm-hmm. it's the way that gets translated in social justice issues is just if just be patient just oh, wait gosh, yeah. just, just, you cannot expect to accomplish this overnight just take right. it easy and go watch tv and who's who says that by the way who are the ones saying just wait your time will come the ones in power are the ones That's who right. make the rule. Yeah. And, you know, one of Martin Luther King's points during his work was the oppressor does not get to set the timetable for the oppressed. And, you know, that's where he wrote his whole fierce urgency of now from that standpoint of the timetable is past. <laughs> you know, we need to embody this moment and move forward. So I, I I just wanted to the open Sunday in talking about the fact that though we create these talks and offer them, we're say we're trying to say the unsayable. Yeah. <laughs> I really challenge us one Sunday to just sit in silence for 45 minutes. Okay. <laughs> we 
we were just daring each other who was going to speak first. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm kind of kidding, but um, you, do you, you know who John Cage is? He's sort of a postmodern pianist, yeah. composer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know that piece, I know that piece of music. Yeah. yeah, one of those, one of his pieces of music was a symphony of silence. And the way that it works is that every, I think, four minutes, a little ding goes off and he flips a page and then sits again at the piano. A little ding goes off, he flips a page, sits again at the piano. And and what, and you know, there's, there's a lot of grumbling and coughing and movement and hmm in the audience. And my takeaway from that is, A, there is no such thing as silence. B, the symphony is in the room. The symphony is the sum of all the parts, right? All mm -hmm. of the, it kind of in some ways likens to um, be, be, the movie with uh, Derek Delgadio that the, the magic was what happened in the room. It took the whole room for that right. to happen, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, I, I was going to say something about patriarchy, you know, just, you know, you men get a bad rap <laughs> and, and for sure toxic patriarchy has really done a number on our systems and societies. It's, it's created a kind of domination system in mm -hmm. which we went from more lateral societies to more top-down societies, um, mostly run by men and, and women abide by the patriarchy too. You know, that's the sort of idea of complementarianism in within the sort of evangelical and fundamentalist movement is an abidance of patriarchy, a belief that whatever my husband says, I will do. And please note my sweet Southern accent when I lapsed into my <laughs> complementarianism role. But you know, the, the, it's so interesting to me how we somehow lose the ability to think for ourselves in that structure of domination and patriarchy that, and fundamentalism. That is the infantile response. Right. right. Now, the, the, the trivial response is to approach something like sacred mystery with the attitude of, oh, I got this, I understand mm -hmm. this. Or I have I have accepted Jesus as my personal savior, therefore it's done. Mm -hmm. The transaction is completed. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I want I want to read you a quote from Sarah Grant's book. Now forgive her for her sexist language. Um this woman was amazing. The more I have gone back and looked at it. Mm -hmm. at the book and what she wrote. Yeah. Here's this young Scottish nun who goes from Scotland to India. Yeah. To become a Hindu. Yeah. I don't think she intended to though. No, she did not. <laughs> she did not. But what she realized was that it was an inevitable journey. Right. This is what she wrote. The more we give ourselves in theological study, the more God gives of himself in contemplative prayer. Mm. 
And when you said that about John Cage and, and music, the, uh, it, it took John Cage years to compose that piece of music that has nothing in it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, to get to the space where he could just allow, you know, just allow that partnership to take place. And you better believe people got up and walked out the first time it happened. But then it became a sort of, um, then it became kitschy. Ooh, did you see John Cage's Symphony of Silence? Ooh, yes, I did too. And, and people talk about it without really understanding it and kind of just to be in the in crowd. And then maybe it landed, right? It, it landed on some people. It landed with this kind of like, oh, that's the symphony. And I, I think that that's also emblematic of how shifts occur mm -hmm. in our culture. Um, I think about, we're such a commercialized culture. We're mm -hmm. such a culture of like not wanting to be left out. I wanna be mm -hmm. part of that movement. I wanna, I wanna buy the cute yoga pants and go to the right yoga studio and do my yoga. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm waiting for, so to use the example of yoga, I'm waiting for the shift into the practice of yoga, not mm -hmm. just the transaction or the commercialization of yoga. Um, but how can we really just let it sink in? And, you know, they, there's all, there's a lot of um, statistics about how much does it, how many, how much of the population does it take to shift the, the tipping point, right? To mm -hmm. shift the majority. And it's not the majority of the population. So what would it take to get that sort of 10 to 15% of the population embodying yogic practices mm -hmm. so that that or embodying contemplation so that that becomes the ethos of a place rather than the transaction it, it didn't occur to me until quite recently how very transactional specifically american culture is mm -hmm. i want to say specifically american white culture actually well you have heard me say a lot that the religion of this culture is consumerism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is our religion. Now we we claim that we're a Christian nation, but our real religion is consumerism. Mm -hmm. I remember that immediately after 9/11 happened, the first thing that President George Bush said when he had the the microphone for the the whole population is go shopping. Mm -hmm. Go shop. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. same thing with these stimulus checks during COVID. Use uh -huh. it. Use it to boost the economy. You know, that's why people like me are getting them because, you know, I'm sure that there's some record of income levels, et cetera. And so it's like, oh, well, she's not going to use this to pay her rent. She's going to use this to, to consume, <laughs> you know. Um, it's just, it's so interesting. It's. Again, so, finding that balance between um, between too much and just enough. I mean, I, I think it's naive to say we, we can get by with no money, with no consumerism, with no capitalistic enterprise. I think capitalism also breeds a kind of innovation and invention, and there mm -hmm. are positives of it, but mm -hmm. there, there just seems to be so much out of balance. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I want to go back to your music uh, analogy yeah. because uh, talking about this to someone the other day and, and um, actually yesterday and I bumped into a, a real conundrum 
I have said um, for decades when people would come to see me for psychotherapy or counseling or spiritual direction, I would say um, I'm, I'm very active in my work. I mm-hmm. give assignments. I tell people what to do. I give advice. I give, and, and I expect you to do the work outside of this session. Mm-hmm. And my metaphor is that people, I'm like a piano teacher. People come to see me because they want to learn to play the piano or learn to play it better. And even if you found the best piano teacher on the planet, if you just went to the lesson, you would probably never learn to play the piano. That's right. Unless you're a Mozart mm-hmm. or a Chopin or a Beethoven. And so I got to thinking, uh, I know that I'm probably going to die and burn in hell for this, but Jesus was this spiritual savant mm-hmm. who came equipped to uh, like a Beethoven, like a Chopin, like a Mozart, to play this incredibly radical uh, music of uh, justice and equality and inclusion and forgiveness and joy. Yeah. And um, got to remember that though there were some people who ate it up, they were not the elite, they were not the powerful. And the system eventually had him done, had him executed. Yes. Yeah. And and we can't forget that Jesus too had to practice just like Mozart, just like Beethoven, just like Chopin. There's no way that um, Beethoven could have written his symphonies without first learning to construct the music, you know, without first learning the notes and get that where does that point us right back at the daily spiritual practice and Jesus could not have shown up in the world the way that he did without that without the practice of going inward and that's I think what you must have meant when you said that we experience the universe by going inward and then we sort of come back out and we look outward and we see we begin to see mystery in everything we begin to see possibility in everything Okay. So um, this leads me into talking about a, a book. I don't know that if you've ever ever read Bruce Chilton's book, Rabbi Jesus. I have it, and I read it. Gosh, I read parts of it in or right after college, but it's been some years. So Bruce Chilton is a member of the Jesus Seminar. Yes. Yeah. He. Uh, he Frequently around Easter and Christmas time, you'll see these programs on the History Channel show up about the real John the Baptist or the real Jesus or it's something related to that. And very frequently, Bruce Chilton is one of the historians who is quoted in these um, videos. He is a brilliant scholar of, mm-hmm. uh, of history. And so based on his understanding of life in the Mediterranean world at the time of Jesus, he has constructed a biography of Jesus. It is unlike anything you will ever read about Jesus because it's, it, it really shows Jesus as this 
13 year old guy mm -hmm. who leaves home when he's 13, which would have been not that unusual in that world. I mean, the life expectancy was early forties. Right. Uh, young women got married at 12, 13. <laughs> young men married at 16 mm -hmm. in that. So <clears throat> Jesus uh, grew up in this relatively poverty stricken area, part of the world. Tribalism, meaning the family unit, was incredibly important. Belonging, keeping the belonging system going was important. He goes to the temple and experiences this ritual baptism, which is not as we understand baptism. It's a full body immersion that one does for, by oneself or on one's own. Mm -hmm. Nobody administers it to you. And it's a repeated dipping in the water and coming up and dipping and coming up. It's a, and, and Bruce Chilton says this became a mystic ritual that Jesus participated in by becoming a disciple of John the Baptist for a number of years. Mm -hmm. and, and he became an ecstatic. He, he became a mystic. I mean, we might say a nutcase. <laughs> we absolutely might. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, one of the things that I think we have hap has happened with Jesus is that we've kind of venerated um, the idea of Jesus, idealized it to the degree that maybe we, we missed that that yeah. we might have thought him a nutcase if we were alive at the time. We've done the same thing with people like Martin Luther King. We've idolized who he is. And, and I might say we've whitewashed his message. We've made it very comfortable for us. How does it have to do with um, integration, unity, togetherness? The one thing that everyone can quote from Martin Luther King is, um, I have a dream that one day little black boys and little black girls, little white boys and little white girls may, may walk hand in hand. We've condensed it to that because that's palatable for us. Same thing with Jesus, right? We've, we've condensed it to um, this sort of individual salvation piece because that provides comfort for us, those right. who, you know, and, and it just, because the way, the, the way is hard. <laughs> the, the way is, means giving up things, means, um, Giving up centralized power means giving up ego, giving up the need to be right, <laughs> you know? I might go back and reread children's book. It meant so much to me when I first read it because yeah. it, it, it helped me understand Jesus in a, in a different way. And um, what, what I hope for in our teaching is that we we can um, help people create the space where there is an opportunity to experience the mystery. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, I love the way that Neil Klotz, Douglas Klotz translates the part of the Lord's Prayer that we're dealing with on Sunday. And just read it to you the way mm -hmm. that he has it. Soften the ground of my being and carve out a space within me where your presence can abide. That's his translation of Hallowed Be Thy Name. <laughs> oh, there's two responses I have to that. One is to go back to the word hallowed, right? Which, which by definition is um, to make holy, 
right? To, to venerate, to consecrate something. And hallowed, uh, I think, carries with it a sort of blend of fear, awe, and transcendence. And to really sort of be in that space of hallowed, we've got to be okay with discomfort. We've got to be okay with kind of the uncertainty of, of mystery, the uncertainty of, of what it means to soften the ground of our beings mm -hmm. in the face of that mystery. And the second thing I was going to share, it's great that what you just said, I had a few pages marked in um, Padre Gotuma's book called Daily Prayer. It's, um, he ran a sort of nonviolent and reparation or reparative community in Ireland. And a lot of the community is about how do we restore relationships because Ireland has such a history of violence. And this prayer is right alongside what you just said. Jesus, you sometimes left so that people could face themselves. May we face ourselves in the wilderness and the world and recognize the forces that drive us so that they do not always drive us. Amen. Oh, wow. I had yeah. not heard that. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's what it means to soften the ground of our being, to recognize the forces that mm -hmm. drive us so that so that they won't always drive us. So in Jungian psychology, when we talk about shadows, uh, it's uh, that one of the goals of uh, good Jungian analytic work is to recognize the shadows and put them in front of you so that you have more control over them than they have over you. It's not a matter of getting rid of. Yeah. Because you can't do that and still participate in wholeness. So the sun needs to be behind us so that the shadow is in front of us. <laughs> That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So we continue this work and, and, um, and I don't want to stop this today without um, asking, how are you in the aftermath of the winter Harvey? I mean, it's like it didn't happen. I said to Josh, um, it's like we just transitioned from winter break into summer break within the span of a week. <laughs> my, my, and I don't mean like it's like it didn't happen. I'm just more saying that in a looking outside my window kind of way. You know, it's been bright and sunny and warm. Um, and yet my neighbor, I have several neighbors who are still dealing with busted pipes, just trying to get plumbers over. And one neighbor had all of their pipes under the house burst and one of the things about the heights houses that they're pier and beam so there's a gap between where the earth is and where the bottom of the house is and often that's not insulated because possums get up in the insulation and make nests so all those pipes underneath their house just busted just really inconvenient <laughs> so a week ago today we were without power and yeah. the weather was in the in the 20s yes if that and today it's practically 70 degrees outside yeah, yeah. you were so, in your house huddled up in the kitchen and oh, we were yeah. wearing layers upon layers and today i'm wearing a t-shirt <laughs> me too so i uh, want i want to say to people that um if you are listening to this and in the houston area if you will go to the saint paul's website uh, stpaulshouston.org there on the landing page you will see um if you need help and assistance, ways that you can get it. 
And if you are in the position to offer assistance of any kind, uh, money, plumbing, health, food, water, whatever, there are plenty of opportunities for you to serve. One of our staff members got his brother to FedEx him plumbing parts from El Paso. Yeah. My dad did the same with a friend from Maine. He was like, I bet you can find this in your hardware stores. We can't. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I've heard plenty of stories. Uh, people yeah. going to Home Depot, they, the lines are around, sold out of everything. So yeah. there are ways and places that people are trying to um, give help. There are water distribution points that you can connect with through mm -hmm. St. Paul's and uh I know that both of my adult children had burst water pipes and man, that is really inconvenient. It is. And we're, and it's, we're so accustomed to, I mean, I really love warm water and I really love indoor plumbing. So it's, it's a, it's a, an ego <laughs> desire that I would like to not do without. And, you right. know, but there are parts of the world that don't have those luxuries. So I think it's, it's helpful to be mindful of that too. Yeah, I was talking to someone yesterday who um, endured pretty harsh conditions. Mm -hmm. They they had one slight water issue. They they were their power. We were without power constantly from the time it went off till the time it came on. Mm -hmm. That's almost three days. But other people had power that came on and off, intermittent this and that and so forth and so on. Anyway, during the midst of his ordeal, he said, "You know." We're not living in Afghanistan. Even so, Texas came across as a third world country. <laughs> Definitely came across as uh, needing to fix its issues. <laughs> oh, we got so many issues that we need to fix. Uh, I saw it. Um, I saw a funny cartoon that said, my senator went to Cancun and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> I thought of the Will Rogers quote about we have the best politicians money can buy. Uh-huh. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Also true. Okay. Well, oh, and John Tucker. Don't forget to sign up for John Tucker. John Tucker, um, the yeah, we have people, yeah. the registration is open. People are already signing up. And you know, I know that I have a tendency to harp on and nag people about a few things. <laughs> Having a daily spiritual practice is one of them. And reading John Tucker's book. Um I'm I'm honest when I say reading that book is going to challenge you. It is not an easy read. You got to use your brains to read it, but uh, it's the theology of the future. Yeah. Because he is acknowledging the philosophical grounding that opens us up to the truths of evolutionary cosmology, and that's the that's the future, folks. Yeah. That's the future. It's not only the future, it's the always has been. It's just that we sort of need to like lean into it in a, in a really deep and spiritual way. You know, I am embarrassed to tell you how long it was that I continued to use the phrase, the new cosmology. <laughs> I, I'm sure I heard somebody else use it. Of and course, it's, it's, it it's a very popular term, but, but the recognition is new to whom? All right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not to God. Yeah. 
not to Native Indians, not to not to people whose culture centers around this. Oh, by the whole. by the way, by the way, by the way, mm-hmm. I meant to tell you, somebody in California who listened to our class last Sunday email me and said, have you and Holly seen the Disney animated film? Moana. Moana. Have you seen it? I have. It's lovely. You sent me that email and it is, it's about wayfinding. Um, She's a Polynesian young girl who wants to learn the trade and typically is passed from father to son. And she is determined to learn to be a wayfinder. It's a gorgeous movie. And it also has a really strong environmental ethic to it. Um, It, and yeah. and it ca- and it casts this growing female mm-hmm. as a hero figure. Yeah, without she, falling in love. <laughs> without there's no love interest in the movie. It's it's a wonderful. I loved it. Well, actually, the love interest is between her and Mother Earth. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah, Mother movie. Earth, yeah, it's a movie. I recommend it. Yeah. It's been it's been worth it. You know, I got Disney Plus um after Sherry had her brain surgery so that we could watch Hamilton mm. and I've kept it because of these kinds of films. It's just wonderful. Yeah. There's some Okay, good ones. I have to go now and you do and um we'll be back on the air next time. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>